Hey friends, happy Mother's Day. I normally do these recordings at the church, and today I did as well, but then when I got home, I, I was watching the recording and the, there was a lag on the audio, so uh, we're going to do it again here at the house. So welcome to my house. Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to start off with a quick little story. There was a teacher who was teaching her classroom of small kids, and she was trying to get them to say the word magnet. And so she said, what is a word that begins with M and it's six letters long and it picks up things? And half the kids in the class said, mother. <laughs> so happy Mother's Day and thank you all those moms who pick things up. <laughs> it leaves an impression on your kids. So, um, so, uh, so, so a lot of moms are great. I happen to have a wonderful mom and we were talking about her over the campfire the other day. We were talking about her as a family, and I, I, I said, you know, I, I said, one of the things about my mom is, is she truly, truly sees the best in everyone. I love that about her. Um, whether it's a strength or a weakness, I don't know, but, but she truly loves uh, everyone and sees the best in everyone, and, and I, I, I'm deeply grateful for that attribute in her. When I think about Melissa, who's also a great mom, uh, I can't think of anyone who is would be so willing to lay down her life for her kids than Melissa. It's just who she is. It's everything about her. and But I'm not naive to think that every mom is a great mom. And so, uh, you know, that I about a year and a half ago, I went to the Utah County Jail and I uh, met a woman who had been in several times, but this time she was in for a long time because she had been doing drugs with her boyfriend and her one-year-old crawled across the floor and punctured its skin with a hypodermic needle that had heroin in it and that, you know, the baby overdosed instantly and died and so they put the mom in jail for that. And so so I'm not naive to think that every mom is a great mom, um, but there's some really interesting passages that I want to uh, show you today and those passages make this connection between God and a good mom. Okay, it's there, there's some really interesting passages, and and um, I've had two convictions all week. The first is just that you guys just need to be reminded of God's love, and then the second thing was kind of a question all week. I've been kind of toying with this idea of how is God like a good mom, and and so I. Um, I read these passages in, in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to tie those two concepts today. You're going to be reminded of how much God loves you. You're also going to learn about how God is like a good mom, and um, and how how do good moms reflect God, I guess is another way of saying it. And you may stop right there, and you, you just may be... You may give some resistance to even that concept. You're like, how you know? How can God be portrayed as a good mom? Isn't God male? Um, and and I just have to point out, this is something called an anthropomorphism. It's a fancy word. Anthropology. Anthro means uh, human, and and so anthropomorphism is is basically the attributing human characteristics to something that's not human, whether it's God or an animal or something else, you're giving it human characteristics. And so 
Um, so this is what these passages are doing today. They're basically giving human attributes and, and applying them to God. And so we're going to look at these passages today. How are moms like God? Isaiah 49 and 66. Some really interesting passages. And just to set up this, this passage before I read it to you, the context is the people of Israel are in Babylon. They're in captivity. And the Babylonians asked the Israelites, they were like, hey, give us, some, give us something cultural here. Give it, sing with some of your songs, you know, in those minor keys, you know, um, do, do some dances for us. And, and the, the people of Israel were so sad that they just couldn't do it. They couldn't sing. They couldn't, um, they couldn't celebrate. They couldn't dance because they were just so sad at the thought that they were in captivity. So their thought was, God has forgotten about us, okay? Um, and because their story is our story, sometimes we go through the same things. Sometimes we say, man, I think God's forgotten about me. Okay, and if that's, the, if that's you, if you've ever thought that before, then I've got some good news for you today. We're going to talk about these passages. Look at these passages and see how they apply to our lives. So Isaiah 49 says this, verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby of her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? And you might stop there and you may go, absolutely not. You know, what, what mom would, and then you stop and you're like, oh, okay, there are some bad moms out there. So, you know, and then, and, and, and God qualifies that as well. Though she may forget, you know, most moms are good moms and they're not going to forget the child that they're, you know, that, that they're nursing, but though she may forget, so he's conceding that there might be a few out there that will. I will not forget you. Okay, so, so God's comparing himself to a good mom that's taking good care of its baby. Um, but even if there is a bad mom that doesn't take care of its baby, God says, I, I will not forget you. Okay, and then he says, see, I, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. So we're going to do a little workshop today. And we're going to do something called hermeneutics. This is the the art of interpreting scripture correctly. We end up in really funny situations when we don't know how to interpret scripture correctly. So we're going to take these passages, two passages, Isaiah 49 and 66, and they're, they're strange passages, but really inspiring passages. But we are going to do a little workshop on, on interpreting these passages and um, applying, you know, letting the whole of scripture interpret them. And then, you know, we're going to see how it, how it lines up with the whole of scripture. We're going to see how it, uh, what it says about moms. And then we're also going to see how it applies to God. Okay. So that first text I just read for you, Isaiah 49, 15 and 16. And what does this say about moms? It's highly unlikely that a mom would ever forget her baby, okay? So even God says it here, like, he's like, I'm, a, I'm like a good mom that's not gonna forget its baby. You know, how could a, you know, how could a good mom ever forget its baby? There may be a few moms out there, right? He, he qualifies that, though she may forget, I will not forget you, okay? So it's highly unlikely that a mom would ever forget her baby. And then you gotta make the application to what does this tell us about God? Um, you might say, God will never forget babies when he's breastfeeding them. Okay, that's not what this passage is saying, and that's getting really weird, right? Like, that's a really weird uh, interpretation and application. 
what you could say is that in the same way that a mom's not going to forget its baby, a good mom's not going to forget its baby, God won't forget us, okay? But I like to make it a little more creative than that, and so we're going to give it uh, a, we're going to fill this in a little more creatively. What does this say about God? The God who counts the stars and remembers them by name is in no danger of forgetting his kids, all right? I think that says it a little more creatively, and I think it's a little more fun to say it that way. And uh, once again, the God who counts the stars and remembers them by name is in no danger of forgetting his kids. Now, we have to ask, does this line up with the whole of Scripture? Does the rest of Scripture back this up? you got a supporting verse. There's tons of supporting verses, but we'll just pick out one of them. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered if maybe God has forgotten you? Um, have you ever gone through that? Have you just been like, man, I have blown it beyond belief, beyond hope. God could never use me or, or God is beyond, you know, there's no way God could redeem someone like me or use somebody like me. And I just got to say, God won't forget you. God, like a, like a good mom, takes care of the baby. God is going to do the same thing with you. He will not forget you. Others may forget uh, their children, but God will not forget us. Um, and of course, God always has reminders of us on his hands. Okay? Uh, you, need, you don't need to look any farther than the pierced hands of Jesus to, to know that God has not forgotten us and, and, uh, and Jesus looking at his own hands. Jesus, you know, we believe in the divini divinity of Christ. Like he, he looks at his hands and he remembers that, um, he remembers the moment that he laid down his life for us. And I take great comfort in that, knowing that, that Jesus is, is remembering my sins no more. He looks at his you know, every time I fail, he looks at his hands and he's like, okay, I took care of that. It's, it's, uh, it's been washed away. Those, those sins are gone. Isaiah 66, 12 says this. This is the next passage that we're going to look at. For this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees as a mother comforts her child so will I comfort you, okay? So God's saying, you know any good moms? That's how I'm going to take care of you, okay? And there's a few different things here. He says, what, is it, what are the descriptions? Halfway through verse 12, you will nurse, you will be carried on her arm, and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, okay? So there's those four things there. And we're going to look at um, the, that first section right there, you will nurse, uh, what is what does this tell us about moms? What what do nursing moms do? Basically, you could you could say that everything the child needs is in the mom. Okay, all the nutrients that the baby needs provided by the mom. Okay, so then now we have to make the application to God. How do we fill that in? What this says about moms: all the nutrients the baby needs are provided by the mom. What does it say about God? All the nutrients of we need are provided by God breastfeeding. Okay, that's, once again, really weird. We're not going to say it that way. We're, what we will say is that God has everything we need, okay? 
God is our all-sufficiency. That might be another way of saying it. God is our provider, okay? God is our portion. God is our God is all we need, all right? So um, so how do you support this scripturally? Look at all the other, the whole of scripture. Look at other passages of scripture. Second Peter 1, 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him and called us by his own glory and goodness. So God is saying, you know, good mom, she takes care of her kid. Uh, she's everything that he needs. That's how I'm taking care of you. Okay. That's everything that you need is found in me. There's a, a really interesting Old Testament passage where God appears to Abraham and he says that his name is El Shaddai. El means strong and Shaddai means breasted one. And you go, what? <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's weird to think of God as a strong-breasted one, right? But... Um, but you're like, wait, wait, wait a second. I thought God was male. God isn't male. God isn't female. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So uh, so this is, this is something that's really important for us to remember. That, that when, when the Bible uses these metaphors it's, or anthropomorphisms, it's taking an attribute uh, that's a human attribute and putting it in God. But it doesn't just... Stop there. It doesn't just stop with male attributes. It doesn't just use female attributes. Sometimes God is described like a, a mother hen that takes care of its chicks, and right, and we find shelter on the shadow of his, of his wings. Right? God's not a chicken. God's not a male. God's not a female. God's not a door. But he's sometimes described as a door. Okay. So we need to be really careful. And we need to make sure that we're not making the Bible say what it's not saying. Like God doesn't have female parts he doesn't have male parts but he but but get the word picture the word picture here is that god is taking care of you god is nursing you god god can um uh, he's all you need right he's el shaddai he he uh, <laughs> god is there's no other way to say it god you know it's weird to use the term he is El Shaddai. I was just thinking about that as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird way of saying it. You know, he is the uh, strong-breasted one, but but he's not male or female. He's a spirit. But in trying to portray how he takes care of us and trying to portray um, how he interacts with us, sometimes he uses metaphors that we get. Okay? So, um, I'm thinking about how God is our all-sufficiency and God is our everything. You know, he's all that we need. We had a friend that we led him to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. He and his wife, we baptized them in the river. And then when his family found out, they cut him off from the inheritance. And his, his grandfather, who was very wealthy, he, uh, he cut them off. And, and he said, you get nothing. And, and if this were my friend's identity was being like if that was his life pursuit was to be wealthy um that would be really disheartening but i remember just how how much it didn't bother him he was like you know what uh i lost a lot of money in doing this but i got jesus now right he realized jesus is everything and because of that he was gonna be fine right jesus is all we, god is all we need and um and if we if we recognize that, if we learn that, if we discover that, 
then we're going to be okay. If, if wealth is all we need, then we might be in trouble if someone cut us off the inheritance or if the stock market plummets or, you know, you lose your 401k or whatever, you know, you're, you're going to, your identity is going to take a hit. But if God is all you need, you're going to be all right. Okay. Um, God is our provision. God's our all sufficiency. Right, that's another thing. As I was talking to Melissa about this text last night, I said, I, I read the passage to her and and she said, you know, when I think about how I used to nurse the kids, I always remember how how special that one-on-one time was. And other kids would come in and I would have to say, no, I, I can't do anything else right now. I'm, I'm feeding the baby. Um, and so it was, it, it was, I can't do anything else. I'm like, this is my alone time. It's me and the baby. And, uh, you know, I... I can't do anything else right now. Like this, this is our time. And, um, and so God describes him as himself as a, a mom that nurses us. And I hadn't thought of that aspect until Melissa said it last night, but it's a really good point. Um, what does this also say about moms is that when moms nurse, that baby is priority number one, right? What's the application? How do we apply this to what this says about God? Um, now, you could get weird and you could be like, okay, well, w- when God is focusing on us, he can't focus on anyone else in the whole universe. <laughs> and we would say, okay, that's bad hermeneutics. That doesn't work. That That isn't the way to interpret this. One thing that you could say is, God likes his one-on-one time with us, all right? God is omniscient. God, you know, God, and yes, a mom can only take care of one baby at a a time when it's nursing, but God God is uh, different than we are in that sense, and we know that God is uh, uh, omniscient and and, uh, omnipresent, and he he can take care of you, and he can take care of me at the exact same time, and it's fine because God isn't limited by the the laws of nature and so so that's where the analogy falls short however what you could say drawing from this text is um, in the same way that moms when not moms nurse they give the baby their number one priority you could say about God God really likes his one-on-one time with us all right supporting verse to back this up Psalm 139 says how precious are your thoughts about me O God they cannot be numbered I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And so here, that paints a beautiful picture of God looking at us, and he's, he's like, ah, I love that Dave guy. I, you know, he's just constantly thinking about me. He's constantly saying, ah, that guy's my favorite. You know? <laughs> and, you know, as many grains of sand as there are on the beach, that's how often I'm thinking of that guy. Um, that's, that's pretty humbling. You know, that backs up this whole idea that God likes his one-on-one time with us, okay? Uh, we met a guy years ago, about three years ago at youth camp, and uh, he was, he was uh, one of the leaders, and he was from a, uh, one of the Bible colleges, and, and he was helping to lead the camp, and, and we were talking with him at, at, in the cafeteria one time, and, and everyone else had left, and I was just picking his brain, and it was just a few of us at, at, at the one table. Everyone else is gone. But we're talking with this guy, big, big black guy. I love him to death. He was just a, he was just a, he was just a dude. <laughs> and, uh, 
and uh, and I asked him his story. You know, how did how did you come to know Christ? And and uh, just picking his brain a little bit. And he goes, he goes. You know, he said, I just I just love uh, I love having a relationship with God. I said, I said, what do you love about it? He goes, you know what? He said, he said, God speaks to me audibly. I said, really? I said, I, I know a few people that 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 that's happened to them, but uh, what is it like for you? What does God usually tell you? And he said, he said, God usually, almost every day. He says it's not every day, but almost every day, God says, I love you. And he says, it makes me cry almost every time. But just to hear the audible voice of God say, I love you. Um, that was pretty cool. It was a really good uh, illustration or word picture of this idea that God just really enjoys his one-on-one -on -one time with us. Okay. Um, all right, let's keep going. Isaiah 66, 12 says, uh, and be carried on her arm. Okay, so God is likening himself to this mom who takes good care of its, of its babies. And uh, a good mom, if you want to fill this in, what this says about moms, moms pick up their kids when they're tired. Okay, um, it's right here in the text. He, the baby will be carried on her arm. Moms pick up their kids when they're tired. You could say the same thing about God. Okay, so we carry it over the next next quadrant here. What does this say about God? You could say God picks up his kids when they're tired, but let's let's broaden it to apply to more people. It kind of, it's kind of weird to say it that way, so let's just broaden it to, to be a principle that applies to all people in all times. Um, you could say it this way. God, give God your weakness, and he'll give you his strength. All right? Give God your weakness, and he'll give you his strength. Is that supported by the whole of Scripture? Yes. So many verses could support that. Just one of them is Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Speaking of burdens um, and being weary and, and weak, uh, almost a year ago, I was up in Montana with Nathan and we were visiting some friends and and it happened to be during the time of day when they were at work and so Nathan and I went to down to, down to the lake and we took my friend's kayaks down there and we were just kayaking around this little island um, in the middle of the lake and, and we were talking and he goes, I, I remember it just being a very prophetic time, it was kind of like the God was really speaking through Nathan to me very directly and, and he was saying, Dad, he said, he said, uh, he said, everyone's exhausted. He said, and, you know, he's talking about church and for eight years we were setting up and tearing down church and I didn't mind it, honestly, but, um, but he said, he said, you know, the, the staff is exhausted and your family's exhausted <laughs> from eight years of setting up and tearing down. And he said, uh, something's got to, something really has to change. And I remember that it was like so clearly the voice of God speaking to me and, um, I was like, all right. So we came back and we talked to the staff and we were like, okay, something's got to change. What are we going to do? And so uh, right about that time, God opened up the, 
the doors for us to get into the building that we're in now and uh, no more setup and teardown. Yeah, we did have to do a build out, but no more setup and teardown. And, uh, and then on top of it, you know, after this season of eight years being being weary from setting up and tearing down, not only got us get us into that building uh, where we don't have to set up the sound system and the you know instruments and backdrops and all that kind of stuff anymore, but then the whole world goes on shutdown, and so we kind of get this season of sabbatical or year of jubilee or whatever you want to call it, where. Where, uh, where God's like, you need some rest? All right, I'll give you some rest. You know, here you go. You can still minister, but it's gonna look it's gonna look different. So, um, so I, I I think I think that's a you know when I think about God taking our burdens and shouldering them for us, I, I think back on this last year and how God was like, give me your weakness and I'll give you my strength. All right, um, and He did. You know, He's He's been so good and and uh, if. If that's you, if you're at that place where you're just uh, weary or you're weak, give the Lord your burden and make it clear to him. Say, God, um, I'm handing this over to you and uh, see what he does. So the last, um, second to last part of that passage is where God is apply, likening himself or using this metaphor of a, a good mom and himself. He says in Isaiah 66, 12, and dandled on her knees. Um, that's an interesting thing that the thought of God bouncing us on his knees is just so interesting, right? What does it say about moms? You could fill this in. Moms love to hear their kids laugh, right? What does it tell us about God? God loves to hear his kids laugh. You could even say it this way, that God loves to make us laugh, right? Is that supported by the rest of scripture, by the whole of scripture? Yes, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Luke 6, 21, blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh, okay? God bounces us on his knees. Some of my earliest memories, like one of the earliest memories in my life was my mom bouncing her on her knees and she knew this little nursery rhyme that that she said in, I think it was Norwegian, it was either Norwegian or Swedish, but I think it was Norwegian. She would bounce me on her knees and say, Rita, Rita, Ranka, Hessen, Heda, Blanka. And I have no idea that one, what that means because I don't speak Norwegian, but she would do this whole nursery rhyme and, and uh, you know, I'd be bouncing on her knees and she'd drop me in and pick me up and, you know, swing me around and, and, uh, and I would laugh and it was just hysterical. Some of my earliest memories, you guys, I'm two years old, I'm three years old and, and, uh, and, and having my mom bounce me on her knee was awesome. I love it. It made me laugh. You know, I think about Melissa. She does the same thing with, with, she did the same thing with our kids when they were little and she'd bounce them. She, you know, she doesn't know Norwegian, so she didn't use the Norwegian nursery rhyme, but she did, um, she did, uh, you know, a little thing where she'd have her on, you know, holding, holding their hands and bouncing them on her knees. She'd go, this is the way the gentlemen ride. Blip, plop, blip, plop. And the kids, you know, would go back and forth like that. And then she'd go, this is the way the cowboys ride. Do, 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 you know, and, and she'd, you know, make them fall and she'd catch them and lift them up. And it was just, they'd laugh every single time. They loved it. It was, it was great for them. Um, how, how do we apply this to God? I think it really is important to remember this, that this is, this is God speaking to us. He's saying, in the same way that a mom bounces, bounces a kid on the knee and makes it laugh, I love to make you guys laugh, all right? And, 
And, uh, you know, so many people are like, well, a good Christian is a somber Christian. A good Christian is a serious Christian. A good Christian is a perfect Christian. And I would just say maybe a good Christian is a happy Christian. <laughs> you know, I know that's the Enneagram 7 side of me coming out. Um, but, but, uh, but I really believe that that's scriptural. As I read through scripture, I, I see that God is constantly throwing parties, right? And he's encouraging everyone. You know, don't just get together as a family or a church. Get together, the whole country get together. And let's do this giant celebration, you, you know, several times a year. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a party. And then you get to the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is the life of the party everywhere he goes. Um, and, and you know, you know, you look in the Old Testament and by the time of Jesus and even today, you know, it was, it was a mark of being super, super spiritual the more you could fast. And, uh, but if you look at the Old Testament, you know how many times, how many days a year people were encouraged to fast? One time. Okay. And that was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, so, but by the time of, by, the time, by first century Israel, uh, time rolls around, you have, uh, you have this as a badge of honor or a badge of spirituality to, to fast several times a week. And, and you know, even, there's even those passages where they're like, Jesus, how come your disciples aren't, aren't fasting? And he's like, because they're celebrating the bridegroom, right? So, so it, it, Jesus just comes with a very different idea of what spiritual is, what Christian is, what godly is. Maybe instead of focusing so much on the somber side of Christianity, maybe, maybe we need to, maybe the best Christians are the ones that are celebrating, right? Even last night, we had, Naomi had some friends over and, and, uh, and we did what we do. You know, we just turned it into a party, you know, fed them a lot and, you know, gave them lots of drinks and it was just a, a fun time and it was very celebrative. And even one of Naomi's friends said, said, Naomi, can I come over here more often? <laughs> it, was, it was like music to our ears. It was like just what we wanted to hear. Um, why? Because that's our core value is that the kingdom of God is a party, right? It's our core value that this Christian life has to be fun. This Christian life has to be a celebration, you guys. And yet somewhere along the way, we've gotten this idea that, that true spirituality, true Christianity is serious and mean and we got to let them know what we stand for because that's what a true Christian is. It's like we stand for these, you know, do's and don'ts. And, and I would just say maybe the best Christian is the one who's always laughing, right? Maybe it's the one that gets that God likes to have him on his knee and um, bounces us around and <laughs> makes life fun, okay? Um, all right, so this is why we always make church fun. We try to make, we try to laugh a lot. We try to, we always have a meal. We always make it a celebration. Sometimes we do games during church. Why? Because, because <laughs> the kingdom of God is a party and uh, maybe the best Christians are the ones that, uh, that get that, you know, that, uh, that this Christian life has to be fun. Um, maybe the best Christians are the ones who laugh. Speaking of, we have some friends, Ben and Bailey Grahams, they're missionaries to Argentina, and they, they posted a, a video recently of their kids just laughing. They're playing with some little paper airplanes, and they, they just start laughing. So, uh, so here it is. This kind of illustrates the point that God loves to see us laugh. 
isn't that fun? The last part of the text says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. What does this say about moms? Moms' hearts break every time their kids hurt, right? You could say that. What does this say about God? It says that God gives us peace and comfort when we're hurting, and one day he'll take us to a place of complete cheerlessness. Now, I don't even know if cheerlessness is the word, <laughs> but we're going to use it, okay? God gives us peace and comfort when we're hurting, and one day he'll take us to a place of complete cheerlessness. Is that supported by the whole of Scripture? Yes, there's plenty of verses that support that. One of them, Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You guys, most good moms love their kids, okay? Um, most good moms never forget their kids. Most good moms provide for their kids, and they love the one-on-one -on -one time with their kids. Most good moms carry them when they're tired. Most good moms make their kids laugh. Most good moms comfort their kids. And I just got to say, whenever you see a mom doing one of these things, can you just remember that that's how much God loves you? All right, can we do that? All right, I look forward to chatting with you guys soon. Love you. Bye.